episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show with another really fascinating, exciting guest today, uh, helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Christopher Cefeli, who is uh, Vice President of Nutrition Research at the National Dairy Council, uh, where he oversees uh, the dairy and public health research platform there, ultimately with a goal to provide scientific evidence used to protect and promote dairy and public policy, uh, and he's responsible for strategic planning, development, management of dairy-centric research uh, on areas like chronic disease risk, childhood nutrition, uh, the CDC's National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey related to research, uh, as well as nutrition and sustainability. Uh, Dr. Savelli obtained both his bachelor's degree uh, and his PhD, um, his bachelor's in biology, PhD in nutritional science from Penn State University, uh, where his graduate work focused on uh, understanding vitamin A status and inflammation uh, affect uh, retinoic acid metabolism, uh, including mathematical modeling, studying the effects of retinoic acid supplementation, whole body uh, vitamin A kinetics. Uh, during his postdoc work at Penn State, he examined vitamin A kinetic storage and uh, disposal rates in adults from dif uh, different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, in his current role uh, at the Dairy Research Institute, Dr. Svelli is involved uh, in development, design, initiation, management, and communication of various research projects on the health benefits associated with adequate dairy consumption, including uh, studies examining effects of vitamins and minerals found in dairy on bone density, uh, weight management, and uh, metabolic health. Uh, Dr. Safel is also active in several professional organizations, uh, currently serves as the Chair of Science and Translation Committee for the International Scientific Association for Probiotics and Prebiotics. Uh, he's also on the Board of Directors for the Yogurt and Nutrition Initiative. Uh, in addition to all that, he's authored or co-authored uh, dozens of peer-reviewed research manuscripts, reviews, and abstracts. A lot of really interesting topics we're going to get into today. Uh, Dr. Chris Safeli, thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedules and talk to us for a little while. Thanks, Ira. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And please uh, call me Chris. I'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I will do, Chris. And, um, you, know, you know, typically on the show, I, I love to hand things uh, over to our guest at the beginning, just to, to talk a little bit more uh, about yourself. If you could, uh, uh, Chris, take us on a little, little bit of the prehistory to all this. If you could just tell us a little bit about where you grew up, uh, how you developed interest in, in science and biology, ultimately nutrition sciences. Uh, I think that'd be a great way to, uh, to start off what we're talking about. Sure. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Um, you know, I'm born and raised outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, uh, grew up in a uh, Penn State household, hence the uh, 11 years I ended up spending there between undergrad and graduate school. Uh, you know, some of my fondest memories are going up with my family to uh, visit and football games in the fall and stuff. Um, in terms of professionally, you know, I always, always liked science. Um, you know, I went into uh, my undergrad thinking I was going to be a medical doctor and I wanted to be a medical doctor. So I, I, you know, I majored in biology and you know, took all those classes. Um, and about my junior year, I had an opportunity to take some electives. Um, and nutrition was a really good fit for two reasons. Um, you know, one, uh, I was interested in it, you know, in terms of uh, better understanding how food and health, you know, from that, that medicine perspective. And, and secondly, there was a lot of 
crossover so I could get a minor in it pretty easily while still meeting my, my biology requirements. So, you know, that's, you know, I, I guess the start of my, my nutrition love affair. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, those classes just um, really, um, man, just excited me. I've heard, you know, here, here's the science nerd coming through. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was fascinated by how these nutrients, whether you're talking you know, protein or fat or carbohydrates or your vitamins and minerals, like all the roles they play in the body, like, you know, your all, all the cofactors, you know, for enzymes, you know, that, you, know you just think you eat food, it kind of goes in, you get some energy, you feel good and, you know, you stave off some deficiencies, but, you know, they're, they're so integral to um, all the physiological processes that go in the body. And, and, and so I loved it. I loved, loved my classes. Um, you know, I, I, I loved Penn State and one of the, uh, but one of the things I did wrong and, you know, something I kind of try to tell people as I mentor them now is I didn't do a very good job of getting to know my professors and building relationships. You know, I think all of us uh, understand the value of relationships. So, you know, I, I had good grades and I, I did well on my exams to get into medical school, but you know, I didn't separate myself um, through those letters of recommendation. So unfortunately, I didn't get in uh, to medical school. And you know, I was bummed, you know, uh, disappointed, obviously, as, as anybody would. But I, I was like, I'll get a, a minor and, and I'll, I'll rectify that. You know, I'll work on getting to know some people, um, you know, uh, building up my, my resume more and reapply. Mm-hmm. Um, biology, uh, you couldn't get a master's. You had to go for a, a doctorate right away. But nutrition allowed you to. Um, so that's how I kind of found my way into graduate school of nutrition is uh, it was originally going to be the door to, to reapplying to medical school. Um, I had a really great professor at the time, Dr. John Smith, and I asked him if I could work in his lab, if he had any openings and his response was no. <laughs> um, but he told me to email, um, this professor, uh, Dr. Catherine Ross, who I had never had a class with. I didn't know. Um, you know, but uh, I did as, you know, I, I emailed her and I met with her and, you know, she was gracious enough to accept me into her lab. And little did I know she is a you know, world renowned vitamin A researcher, a National Academy of Science member, and, and just a, um, you know, a tremendous scientist. And um, it, it changed my life, uh, to be completely honest. Um, uh, working in her lab uh, as a first year master's student, I, I just, I, you know, you just know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, you know, so I, I quickly transitioned from a master's student to a doctoral student. Okay. Uh, I, and I, um, you know, studied vitamin A metabolism and uh, under, understood how like things like getting sick and inflammation kind of impact the turnover of it and how that could affect like your immune cells and, uh, and other processes. And you know, I just, it was a little bit of luck, but, you know, it ended up being, uh, you know, for me, not getting into medical school ended up being uh, one of the best things to, to happen to me as you know, it led me into a phenomenal lab, uh, a great department, and um, to ultimately where I am now at National Dairy Council. Outstanding. And, and you know, continuing along that thought for a moment, Chris, um, before we get into a lot of your research, um, Talk for a couple of minutes, just if you could introduce us to, I know there's the National Dairy Council, part of the American Dairy Association, and then there's Dairy Management Inc. Uh, just, just talk about sort of the structure of all this, about sort of where you sit in, in this 
organization and what the organization represents, how many sort of um, dairy farmers we have in the U.S. nowadays. I'm not exactly sure of those numbers, but uh, talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a really great question, Ira. It, it can be very confusing. So um, National Dairy Council itself has been around since 1915 and it was mm -hmm. um, established um, around that time when um, different farmers um, recognized uh, the importance of milk nutritionally and wanted to help educate uh, and promote its consumption. Mm -hmm. And about that time, you have um, professors like E.V. McCollum, who identified vitamin D, and he was up at Wisconsin, and he said, you know, if we put vitamin D in milk, you know, and fortify it with the calcium, it'll really help solve uh, problems with rickets and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so National Dairy Council itself, as an education organization, has been around for over a hundred years, and mm -hmm. they've um, their legacy is with childhood health, uh, starting back with E.V. McCollum, and they're uh, you know helping with rickets all the way through today, where we have programs like uh, Fuel Up the Place Sixty, where we're helping to educate kids on the importance of eating healthy diets and exercising in, in the school setting. Now, in the early 80s, um, you know, Congress enacted uh, several checkoff organizations, dairy being one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you have checkoffs also for soy and pork and egg and beef. And I think there's even a, a Christmas tree checkoff, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, so Dairy Management Incorporated is kind of the umbrella organization then uh, that that is encompassing the checkoff so we at you know uh, national dairy council is kind of like a business unit within uh, the dairy management system uh, and we work for dairy farmers our mm -hmm. uh, they are our, our bosses they are our, our north star who we we get up each day kind of thinking about and trying to figure out how we can um, you know help them by you know educating on, on dairy and its health benefits um, there's Right now, a little less than 40,000 dairy farm families in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and you have your range from, you know, very small, uh, you know, dozens of cows to larger farms that are, you know, thousands of cows that, mm -hmm. you know, all are unique, but all are producing uh, milk that then gets, you know, transformed sometimes into cheese and yogurt for us to, us to consume. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a checkoff organization, we do have oversight by USDA, you know, so we're okay. not allowed to lobby. We, we can't, yep. um, you know, no lobbying, no influencing, you know, our role is strictly research, um, mm -hmm. you know, to better understand what happens when you eat uh, milk, cheese, and yogurt, and, and you know, education and, and talking to people about uh, not just nutrition. We have a product research side that looks at, uh, you know, the food science aspect of, of dairy. We have a sustainability team that is working to figure out how um, dairy farms can continue to reduce their environmental impact. So we are all about uh, education and research. And Got it. You know, I think also for people that don't know NDC, you know, haven't worked with us, it's really important to know that, you know, the research we fund, you know, um, everything good, bad, otherwise we want published and presented because it's science at the end yep. of the day, right? The only way science is advanced is for it to get out into the public and people to critique it and try to replicate it, try to build off of it. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of our, um, one of our guiding principles is to make sure that the work we fund, uh, everything kind of gets out into the public domain. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Chris, before we get into some of the sort of the, the various health um, related research that you've done over the years, 
I just want to start sort of a, a, a kind of basic place because, you know, you, you've been mentioning things like vitamin A, vitamin D. Um, and, you know, for about a decade in sort of the middle of my career, I worked in the, the phytochemical business. And I, you know, I developed this appreciation for uh, plants that, you know, whether it was this tomato or a blueberry or whatever, you know, once you got rid of the, the, the water and the sugar and so forth, you had this fascinating sort of combinatorial mixture of, of, of hundreds of phytochemicals in each of these plants that had sort of a wide range of activities. And it, it makes you think a lot about milk, you know, okay, you mentioned some, there's obviously there's vitamins in there, there's water, there's the, the protein and so forth. But, you know, I, I seem to remember a lot of research, I think a lot of this used to come out of Japan and so forth about sort of the peptides and all the other sort of biofactors. And milk is, again, one of these really unique combinations of stuff that, that we really all have only delved into a bit. Um, so I want to start with sort of the basic sort of question. You can go any way you want with this, but sort of in the laboratory when you're like, what is milk? You know, how do you look at milk in the lab? Like, are, are you really, you know, what are you focused on nowadays? Is it just, the, is it mainly still the vitamins? Are you, are you going deeper into sort of these unique peptides? What is milk to you as a, as a, as a dairy scientist? That's a, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I would say as a field in nutrition, um, when I probably got into this in, in the uh, early days at NDC, we were very um, nutrient focused, uh, you know, in terms of understanding what calcium did and understanding yeah. what magnesium does. And, you know, um, and, and there's, that is important for sure. Uh, you know, milk, when you just talk about vitamins and minerals is a good or excellent source of 13 uh, vitamin and minerals. So it's sure. got either 10 or 20% of your, your daily value. So it's, it's a nutrient delivery vehicle, almost like a, you know, a natural multivitamin kind of thing, but you're right. I, you know, we've been begun thinking about milk more as this matrix, right? It's, it's not just a delivery vehicle for vitamins and minerals. It is, it's got these um, whey and caseins that are, you know, when they're digested in the gut, we know that these peptides are formed that may have blood pressure and lowering effect. Um, we know that the, the fat in milk, you know, if you drink whole milk, you know, there's 400 different kinds of fatty acids in there, you know, that are doing a whole load of stuff. Yeah. So it's not just like saturated fat that, mm -hmm. you know, that we lump them together. And then that's not even counting all the other unique bioactives that, that we may not even have, have uncovered yet. So there is you know, there is work being done, um, some funded by us, some funded by others to better understand, you know, some of these complex, um, unique bioactives that are, mm -hmm. that are in, in dairy products. But, you know, I think, you know, blueberries, walnuts, milk, right. We know there's benefits from eating the whole food as opposed to even eating the, the nutrient. I think a good example is like beta carotene, right? Like sure. we know beta carotene is good. You seem to eat, um, orange and, and bright colored fruits and vegetables, they lower your cancer risk. But when we tried to take beta carotene out and feed it to people, we saw, you know, the opposite effect was lung cancer it actually increased, yep. it. you know. So, we, so there's both the bioactives, but then the unique delivery vehicles that they come in in these whole foods that I think is really fascinating. And, and you know, we don't know a whole lot about, you know, these matrix effects because, you know, it's not just, again, the nutrients, it's how they're packaged, it's yep. the physical chemical properties of it all. Um, so we're, we're trying to understand that um, a little bit better. And, you know, we have newer techniques now that we can really um, drill down and, and isolate different um, proteins or complex sugars like oleosaccharides mm -hmm. or uh, even 
things we didn't even know were in there before. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is pretty cool. And that's with milk, that's even before you ferment it, right? You know, if you yeah. talk about yogurt, you have a whole, whole different, um, you know, ball game, right? You got, you got the live bacteria then that have, that have completely transformed the milk and, uh, you know, yeah, you have different bioactives. So it, it, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah. But I guess my take home message for listeners is, is, is really, you know, there's something about these whole foods that's so unique and hard to replicate. And, yeah. you know, we, we know the nutrients and we know the vitamins and minerals, but there's, there's other benefits that we know kind of happen, but we don't know how it happens yet. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of, I think where the field of nutrition and food science is heading. Yeah. That's such an important point. You, you brought that up and I remember that as well, sort of pharmacokinetics when it comes to these mixtures, how, you know, you would have plant X from, from China that, you know, was a wonderful herbal remedy, but when you purified out that uh, drug substance in the pharma company, wow, this is poisonous. And, and so, you know, these really interesting, uh, you know, changes that occur or when, when you don't keep things whole. And I think it adds to the excitement of sort of, you know, what's there because we've only really, uh, whether it's plants or whether it's milk, really only scratching the surface. Um, and, and, you know, with that, you know, I, I'd love to sort of delve into some of um, the areas that you've been focusing on the last couple of years. And one that, um, you know, sort of the top of the list here uh, has to do with uh, inflammation, which is, you know, on all fronts is, is just, you know, reared its head as such an important uh, biologic function in, in all sorts of diseases nowadays. Um, you uh, had this uh, last year, June 2020, current developments in nutrition, effects of dairy product and dairy protein intake on inflammation. And you did this review of the literature, uh, you know, you know, finding, you know, a sort of a wide range of, of very interesting uh, effects and in many cases, reductions of biomarkers of inflammation. Once again, you know, obviously, we're just scratching the surface of whether these are peptides or other interesting fat, you know, uh, lipid moieties that are involved here. But what are some of the things that you're learning in, in general about uh, inflammation and dairy, but also potentially some of the interesting mechanisms that may keep uh, inflammation at bay? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, good, good question, Iron. And, you know, inflammation is 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 just a such a hot topic, right? Like you, know, you can go in any bookstore on Amazon and, and Google like diets and they'll be the anti-inflammatory diet or, you know, cut out these foods. And, 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 you know, um, you would think people are walking around like needing a fire extinguisher to kind of put out like the, the flames in their gut. You know, I, the one thing when I, when I talk about this, I always start with saying is, you know, inflammation is, is normal. It, it's a good problem. We've all fallen down and we've scraped our knees or cut yep. our fingers, right? You want inflammation to happen. You want the redness and the swelling because that's your body's like first, you know, line of defense, right? It's, it's yep. trying to heal and clean and get the immune system ramped up. You know, the inflammation that is, you know, problematic is this chronic low-grade inflammation that mm -hmm. we can't feel. And we, as you mentioned, you know, we're seeing correlations between higher markers of this inflammation and, and cardiovascular disease risk or type two diabetes risk. And, you know, to be frank, I don't think we really know which comes first, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you get some higher inflammation and that leads to your increased risk of disease or vice versa, and probably it's cyclical, right? One is feeding into the other, but regardless, you know, you don't want to have, um, you know, you don't want your immune system just running uh, on all the time, right? right? You know, it's like any other, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You know, you don't want your your refrigerator just running all the time, right? It's going right. to burn out. And that's to your, and same with your immune system. You want it to kind of do its job and turn off. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think um, for whatever reason, dairy has gotten 
in the spotlight with some other foods like tomatoes, you know, of like, you know, they're inflammatory, you got to cut them out of your diet. And, you know, I think what we, um, and, and others have shown too, there's been two other or three other systematic reviews have all shown the same thing, you know, dairy foods, milk, cheese, and yogurt are not causing inflammation. Sure. And in fact, it seems like in certain circumstances, so if you are maybe obese, or you do have some underlying health conditions, it actually lowers your inflammation. Um, one of the studies that we funded, uh, National Dairy Council funded at the University of Wisconsin uh, under Dr. Brad Bowling actually looked at feeding uh, obese women, you know, uh, serving in a half of, of just regular yogurt, you know, not, not <laughs> Greek, nothing special, and showed that it, it helped lower inflammation. So again, is it, um, is it the fermentation? Is it the bioactives? You know, it, with yogurt, it may be a little easier to say maybe it's something in the gut, right? Because we know, um, or I know, I guess the gut is actually the largest, one of the largest hosts of the immune system, which makes yep. sense. You know, you have so many foreign substances passing through us, you know, and so maintaining that integrity of the gut to let just the nutrients in, but keep the bacteria out. And then those immune cells that are kind of monitoring everything, yep. you know, so with yogurt and the live cultures, it makes sense that maybe it's helping to kind of keep the peace in your, in your gut a little bit better. Um, you know, for milk and cheese, it, it could be the nutrients that are helping with metabolic health, but you know, either way you can feel good about, you know, um, you know, eating your yogurt as a snack or having some cheese or you know, milk and cereal or whatever, however you like to get your dairy um, without it, you know, increasing your inflammation. Um, and and it, I, I will say it's really important. People are not eating enough fruits and vegetables, whole grains and dairy. And because of that, we're seeing that most people aren't meeting their nutrient needs in general. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, that's not going to be a, you're not going to run around and have, you know, pellagra or berry berry, but you, you may not be functioning as optimally. So yeah. you know, eating these foods and dairy included will help you um, overcome some of those shortfalls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once again, talk about, inflammation we talk about the gut now and that you know gets me now thinking uh, about the microbiome another very hot area uh, the last couple of years something that you've been involved in as well um current opinions biotechnology april 2017 health benefits of fermented foods microbiota and uh and beyond um you know when you once again you, you talk about sort of the fermentation process obviously when you're making yogurt and cheese and stuff microbes involved which we consume but also you know we got you know this entire ecosystem inside us as well so there's a lot of interesting interactions there uh, talk a little bit about sort of the interesting areas to you you know what you're looking at whether it's digestive health or uh, how our microbiota can can once again as you were saying before turn some of these peptides into other bioactive forms what are you what are you excited about uh, with regard to the microbiome yeah, I mean, it is such a complex but exciting area. You know, it's your microbiome is almost like a city. Like, you, you know, you yeah. think about Chicago, where I live now, right? It's It's got its own neighborhoods. It's, you know, that have different residents, you know, but they all kind of interact in one ecosystem. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, I, I think for me, you know, we're, we're starting to understand um, more that it's not about you know, the numbers of the bacteria, it's about the functionality of them and making sure that you're maintaining like a diverse microbiota that has a lot of different functions. So it's not just the numbers of X bacteria versus the numbers of Y, it's what X and Y do and what they do in relation is gonna help um, decide whether, you know, you're kind of healthy or your gut's maybe in a little dysbiosis. I think as a, you know, as we think about like um, how nutrition can impact 
uh, you know, the microbiota, if we, you know, go beyond just the simple, you know, hey, eat a high fiber diet and variety, which we know is important. It's, it's trying to better understand what, what makes a truly healthy microbiota. Um, you know, and, and we know that, you know, what's healthy for me, if I took my microbiome out and put it in you, Ira, and vice versa, we would both get sick. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, what's, it doesn't, we know that there's a lot of variability, but um, we, we don't really understand enough to kind of be like, well, this is the general profile of a healthy microbiota. And it may not be perfect, but that would allow us to kind of then better maybe tailor diets or be a little more personalized in terms of what we, um, you know, um, tell people to eat or how to help their microbiome um, function optimally. So I think you're seeing a lot of work in that trying to, whether it's through the metabolites, the microbiota uh, make and or the, the, the niches and the numbers there, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out that, that healthy uh, microbiome and what it is and what it does. Um, Cause it, it is, it's such a, you know, when we studied it in grad school or as an undergrad, it was just a pass through, right? They, you know, here's your gut and here's the enzymes that break down the food. And now we know it, it they, they make their own vitamins. They, they are making um, short chain fatty acids. They are making peptides and those are directly interacting, um, interacting with our, our uh, epithelial cells there, you know, in terms of um, communication and um, it, it is, it is truly fascinating. And then that's just one microbiota, right? We have a skin, vaginal, oral, sure. you know, so there, you know, and nutrition impacts all of them. Um, yeah. And you, know, you asked me what I'm you know, excited about. I, I, I would say too, I, I think we're beginning to better understand, you know, that we always used to say you have a gut feeling about something. Well, <laughs> we know now the microbiota through the gut brain axis is communicating with your brain somehow and communicating and, and feeding information. And to me, that's super exciting, right? Cause yeah. that's a, now a direct, even more direct link between what you eat, how the microbiota are processing it and what it's sending signals to your brain. And, and I think as we unravel that, it's going to really change maybe how nutrition impacts say, things like mood or stress, satiety, you know, um, you know, I, I, I think the next, you know, 15, 20 years, I, I know that saying that sounds like a long time, but I think we're really going to really unravel more of these mechanisms that will help us um, help people eat healthier and, and actually, you know, use it to kind of help them improve not only their nutrition and health, but like maybe their overall well-being because, you know, we'll, we'll better understand maybe like uh, this gut brain access better too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause you know, the, and in a sort of disclosure here, I, I was a, I was a kid, uh, raised old school, lots of milk, lots of dairy. I have no problem with it at all. I love my, my dairy products. Uh, that being said, I have other members of my family that dairy doesn't work well with them, but, um, and they bring home all sorts of weird stuff, <laughs> things in the milk cabinet that aren't, don't look like milk. Um, and I know you've studied a lot of, so, you know, you've done a lot of work in the comparison of dairy versus some of this oat, soy, almond, whatever is coming in the house. Um, talk for a little bit, obviously, you know, uh, when you look at the, the, the labels on these boxes, I, I, as a background in the pharmacology space, I can identify some of most of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, these, these are not dairy products. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're learning there and some of this sort of dairy versus these non-dairy foods. And then uh, at the same time, actually, I'll let you take that one. And then there's one other one I'll give you after that. Yeah, no. Um... Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I will say, I guess I'll start by saying, you know, consumer choice is important. 
you know, we're not here to be the, the police on what people should or shouldn't. Yeah, yes. I, um, if, if my, I've gotten this question from, from my mom or friends, you know, about, you know, um, you know, maybe they're lactose intolerant, so they move to an alternative beverage. You know, I guess there, there's two, two important things to consider. One, you know, According to you know, the dietary guidelines for Americans, you know, every five years they go through the science and, and they make their dietary recommendations. And the, the last cycle just ended. And in their recommendations, the only alternative beverage included in the dairy group is soy. Because soy okay. um, beverage at least has the protein, the calcium, the vitamin D. It's got the closest nutrient profile um, mm. to milk. The others, oat, almond, rice, whatever, they're not included. And actually um, there was recent guidance um, for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, among others, that you know, cautioned parents about thinking that these alternative milks were um, as healthy or had the same nutrient profile. And that's really the recommendation I, I give. You know, if you if you're drinking these beverages because you think they are as healthy or provide the same essential nutrients as milk that you're misguided. And that that's okay. You know, you, you can still, you know, if you like an oat milk latte, I'm not here to tell you not to drink it, but if you're thinking that the oat milk latte gives you the same 13 nutrients, that's where I, then as a nutritionist, I have to say, oh, you know, hold on, you got to look at the label and understand that you're not getting the same nutritional bang for your buck as you will with milk. Um, secondly, you know, I don't know if people fully appreciate all the varieties of milk uh, that are out there. You know, you have um, several now lactose-free varieties. You know, I, I know my my mom and dad drink uh, Fairlife. You know, that's that's okay. the brand that they enjoy because it um, it's filtered and so it's a little higher protein and it's got mm. a really nice mouthfeel. It's actually it's not as sweet as um, some of the other um, where they've they've cleaved the lactose. But I know other people who enjoy you know like a lactate as well. Um, you know, most lactose intolerant people can still eat your hard cheeses, you know, so like mm -hmm, cheddars mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and yogurt is, is also should be easily digestible um, if you're lactose intolerant. So, so there's options out there if you want to stay in the dairy category. But, um, you know, for me, again, it's important when I talk about people is, you know, if you're just doing this because you love the taste of it, hey, that's great. You know, we all have things we like you know, uh, and enjoy. But if you think it's as healthy, that's, you know, just take a step back and you know, think about um, maybe there's a better option or uh, for you for that sure. and making sure you get your nutrients. You know, it's really talking about mouthfeel. I, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I, I was in, uh, in Saudi Arabia and uh, I happened to be in a uh, food store and there was camel's milk uh, on the shelf. And I tried it. It was was different, you know, much fattier than, uh, than cow's milk. But that being said, I, um, and obviously, you know, the, the U.S. or dairy industry heavily based on, on cows. Um, do you spend any time sort of uh, looking at other uh, types of milk uh, in, in your research? Because I know one of the things they were very hot on over there uh, were these interesting antibodies that the camels produced in their milk that had other benefits. That uh, uh, any, any interesting other <laughs> sort of non-bovine uh, uh, research or interest, whether you're doing it or not, that you're, that you're excited about in terms of dairy world. Yeah. You know, it, I know it's done. We, we don't fund or do any, obviously, because we work for, for us you know, sure. dairy cow farmers, right. Dairy farmers. But, um, you know, we, you will see, um, especially in the middle East, you're right. A lot of research on, on camel's milk. You'll see some on goat milk as well. Yeah. You know, I'm not as up on that literature, um, to, to really, 
kind of say, but you're right. There's differences in the proteins and the fat and the taste. And, you know, um, most of us have probably, or a lot of us probably have had at, at some point a goat milk cheese, right? We know sure. it just, you know, it, it tastes different, right? It, yeah. it, you know, so there is just a different um, profile to it, but uh, I think those fields are probably a little bit behind where, where dairy milk is in terms of studying, um, mm -hmm. but uh, it is certainly an emerging area. What, um, for the younger audience, uh, the folks that are uh, just starting out, um, you know, that are hot into STEM and, and, and some of these emerging areas, um, talk about sort of, uh, agriculture and horticulture and, and sort of um you're you know because we, we you know we obviously we hear so much about the you know it and obviously space tourism now and this and that but you know this this agricultural space is you know <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars a major part of our economy talk about some of the things that uh, you know if, if people are just starting out and you know maybe looking at uh, a career or, or starting out in biology but moving into that area some of the things that you might recommend to the uh, the younger audience the next generation that's going to be coming along and and, and, uh, and making a go in this particular area yeah you know hindsight's always always 2020 if i if i had known i was going to go into nutrition um i would have um, taken more agricultural classes um, you know you don't you can go all through your undergrad to you know be a say a dietitian and go to dietetic school or then get your doctorate and, and never step foot on a farm you know because mm -hmm. you know um uh, and as a grad student, we had a teacher who was in community nutrition. I remember one having to get up one Saturday morning and really feeling miserable about having to get up on a Saturday morning to go to like a, a forum where farmers from Center County, Pennsylvania were talking. Right. And they were a mix of farmers, but it was to, you know, we had to take notes and write a report. And I remember rolling my eyes and being like, yeah, it's, it's farming, right? You know, you know, but now having been on multiple dairy farms um, and, and, you appreciate um, just how technologically savvy they are and, and yeah. how hard it is to farm um, and, and what they do day in and day out. And, and you know, this would be true of, of people who, you know, orange groves in, in, in Florida, you know, yeah. your soy farmers, you know, almond growers. I mean, right. They are, they are working hard to um, deliver us, you know, nutritious food. Um, and I, I think we, uh, I know I did, you know, you take that for granted because I just saw my grocery store full of food and never really thought too much about how it got there. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the things like on, on dairy farms um, from a technology standpoint is you're seeing like um, manure management is a big one right now. So anaerobic digesters, so yeah. taking the manure and putting it into this digester where the bacteria break it down and, and basically produce natural gases that are then trapped and then that's the gas and the electricity that not only can run the farm, yep. but also supply energy to the surrounding communities. So you're taking a waste uh, product, right? That, you know, um, and turning it into energy. You can also then also extract all the nutrients, all there, all the nitrogen and phosphorus that is coming from that. And that's your fertilizer for, yep. for your feed. Uh, you know, you're, you're seeing um, automated milkers, uh, which, the cows love, you know, they walk in and get milked when they're ready. And, you know, they, they sit there and they, they are able to kind of have a treat and you know, it's the machines kind of handle everything. It looks a little Star Trek-ish, but it's, it's <laughs> phenomenal because the cows just know. And, yep. and when the, when they're ready, they go in and they get milked and they're happy and, and comfortable. Um, 
you know, you see improvements in, in um, feeding and the rations so that you can be more efficient so that uh, cows are healthier. Uh, they're not um, as sick as much. They're not, um, you know, uh, they, they are producing more milk because they're, they're well fed and they're well cared for, they're well nourished. And, you know, these are just some of the simple things that, that you know, are, are pretty cool when you think about it though, because you know, the, the farm is running so much more efficiently. And, you know, there's been some studies to try to capture that. And, and just in the seven year or 10 year timeframe from like 2007 to 2017, these type of technologies have allowed uh, U.S. dairy farmers to lower their greenhouse gases, lower the amount of water they're using, lower the amount of land use, lower the amount of like feed input, you know, and that, those are big things as we try to look out to say 2040, 2050, when we're all trying to be net zero or yep. we're trying to strive to be as environmentally neutral as possible. Um, yep. So it, it's these types of technologies that, you know, um, no-till, I think it's no-till soil, right? You know, turning yep. the soil over and being mindful of all that. So, you know, I... I I encourage anybody that can to, you know, visit a dairy farm or visit a farm near you and just, you know, really as silly as it is, talk to a farmer and just see what their day is like and what they're doing. Um, you know, cause uh, if they are animal farmers, they, they care for their animals and, and love them. And if they're, you know, if they're producing plants and produce, they, they care for the land and they, you know, that it's, that's their livelihood. And, you know, the, there's a saying, I think, you know, that, you know, uh, they're just borrowing the land from their children, right? You know, it's, right. it's not like they own the land. They're, they're really trying to be good stewards of the land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can remember the days I, I spent a lot uh, in, in across the river here in Southern New Jersey. And I was always amazed. You know, I talk about sustainability and circular systems. I'm like, farmers have been doing that for decades now. This yeah. is, it's like, we, we, we have a lot to learn that we've forgotten that just, you know, exists in, in these little ecosystems. So, uh, you know, really, really, really exciting. Um, Chris, you know, at the beginning, when we started out, you, you had mentioned um, uh, Professor Ross at Penn State, uh, and, you know, a leader in, in, in vitamin A and retinoid metabolism. You had the, the opportunity to work with, um, you know, sort of just giving you the floor back for a bit. Uh, other important mentors, influencers over your career, folks you're working with now, you want to give a shout out to, um, take it away. And, and anything else you want to mention about uh, the organization or other important people that have been instrumental in, in guiding you along this path? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to kind of, you know, acknowledge, right? I, I, you know, I've been in my career now, 13, 14 years, you know, if I count grad school, you know, 20 some years. And, and I still have mentors uh, to this day and people that are kind of helping me um, grow, continue to grow as a scientist and as a person, you know, and I, I will say, you know, um, dairy management NDC um, has been super supportive of, of just being a scientist first, um, you know, and being a, a, a nutrition scientist for dairy farmers uh, on equal footing, right? You know, and just valuing just being a good scientist. You know, as you mentioned, you know, Dr. Ross, um, you know, just, uh, you can say, I still struggle with the words. You know, she's, she was just a phenomenal mentor in terms of mm -hmm. teaching me how to be a responsible scientist. The ins and outs of, you know, the silly things of keeping notes, of, <laughs> of, of running a good experiment, of being inquisitive, um, 
uh, you know, asking the right question, um, really, you know, stepping back and thinking about the big picture and, you know, uh, and how your results kind of fit into a better understanding of, you know, a, a person's health uh, mm-hmm. or, or in grad school, you know, vitamin A metabolism and what that would mean for the person. Um, uh, Dr. Mike Green at Penn State as well was my co-advisor and my, my postdoc mentor. And, uh, you know, the, the smile he would get just kind of do these crazy math equations to kind of, you know, formulate the kinetic rates of stuff, you know, uh, kind of just got me thinking about, you said pharmacokinetics, you know, you don't think about that with vitamins and minerals, but there are these pharmacokinetics. And, um, you know, he, Dr. Ross was more the biochemist and he was more the physiologist. And, and so those two disciplines have always stuck with me. Like, you know, we, we think about dairy foods and health and you have to think about the mechanism and all that stuff, but you have to step yeah. back and say, well, physiologically, what's it doing to the body? You know, right. and, and what, what it's doing in one system is going to impact, um, you know, at, at NDC, uh, you know, I, I, too many of the, you know, my current uh, manager right now, uh, Dr. Michelle Slimko is, is a phenomenal person. Uh, you know, she's, um, you know, got a doctorate in public health. So she just thinks about things uh, differently than I do. And it, mm-hmm. it's been wonderful kind of having these discussions uh, as, you know, two different scientists who have two different views on, on things, but you know, both trying to kind of figure out where we're going and, you know, always just pushing me to try to uh, challenge me to do different things and to think about things a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, I, I do think as scientists, one of the things, right, you're, you're trained uh, to kind of work alone, be a little bit wolfish, <laughs> mm-hmm. a little lone wolf, right? You know, you're, you're, you're going to, you know, most of us or a lot of us go into academics and, and you know, run our own lab. And, you know, one of the things I think going to National Dairy Council is learning and, and, and I now enjoy like this team aspect of working together and, 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 and being it. So I mean, those are just a few people. I mean, I, I've been very blessed, you know, obviously I, I, my wife is phenomenal too, to be a support through all this, you know, having to put up with me talking about uh, <laughs> science all the time, but uh, you know, uh, I, I would say that those people really were, helped shape me as a, as a nutrition scientist. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, we, uh, all, all of our spouses, they really, <laughs> major, major part of the picture. We, we cannot leave them out at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, really, really fascinating stuff, Chris. Um, you know, I, listening to it, I, I, you know, I say, I really sort of enjoy this theme uh, overall, um, you know, whether it's the, the nutrition, the sustainability theme, obviously, um, your, your focus on, on chronic disease risk and reduction there, uh, a very, very impressive sort of portfolio of, of work, and, and I'm really wishing you the best with all of this uh, moving forward in the organization. Um, for everybody that's going to be uh, watching this episode on the YouTube channel or listening on the podcast. You've been listening to Dr. Chris Cefeli, Vice President Nutrition Research uh, at the National Dairy Council. Uh, Chris, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us for a little while. Obviously, thank you for all the fascinating research you're doing there. Uh, and as we say on our show, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through all your work and, and, and generation of this new knowledge. Very, really impressive. Thanks, Ira. It was a really pleasure. I, it was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely.